Bridges to Bailey, back to Bridges, once more to Bailey, now it's Bridges, here's Bailey, oh my, Bridges, Bailey, Bailey, Bridges, and they scored! Last play of the game, 98 yards to go, and these boys ain't got no more hope than a pig in a parlor. Pitch goes to the right, defense closing in, and he's floating. He's in the air, a human being is taking flight, he's flying to the 50, the end zone, touchdown! The piggies have done it, I turned, I turned, I turned, the piggies win! Oh, and Roger Federer is clearly mouthing the F word at the crowd, and they are letting him hear it. What a disgraceful display from the Swiss. Oh, what's this? He's throwing it back. This could change the sport. A terrible day for fishing. A great day for the fish. This is Apocalypse Sports Radio. And now your host, Shane Ryan. All right, episode number 17 of Apocalypse Sports Radio. This is Shane. And today I am... Very, very happy to have an interview with Kalen Jones, who was just hired by The Ringer to be an NFL writer. And it's kind of a funny story how I, uh, how I got Kalen on the show. Uh, about three weeks ago, I read this story at The Athletic uh, that they made free called, I Remember You Crying, The Athletic Staffers Discuss Experiencing Racism. And as the title implies there, this was an anthology with uh, a few different writers kind of giving their experiences. But those words... I remember you crying uh, come from Kaylin Jones, who who wrote the piece, the first one that they put up uh, right at the top. And and I thought this was so good. It, it takes these two vignettes. The first one, he's playing basketball in eighth grade. Uh, another player shouts a slur at him. But what ends up happening is that Kaylin gets a technical foul for how he reacts to that. Uh, and then the second one, uh, much higher stakes, uh, happens after high school. Uh, he's coming. He's coming home from work and he's stopped by a cop for no reason and essentially intimidated. And as we've seen in these cases a lot, uh, what Kalen had to do in both cases is that even though the injustice was done to him, he had to manage his reaction and everything that followed based on how he managed his reaction. And that sort of, that sort of uh, feeling of hopelessness and rage comes through so clearly and in a microcosmic level describes so perfectly, I think, what we're seeing with you know, the Black Lives Matter protests, some of the police violence videos and everything like that. Um, and on top of it, it was beautifully written. So I, I read this and I said, okay, I really, really would love to talk to Kalen. So I reached out to him, emailed him, uh, within days of me emailing him, he was laid off by the athletic, which was interesting timing to say the least. Um, not because of my email, <laughs> I would hope, but no, he was part of, I think there were like 40 plus people laid off. Um, Kalen had been covering Texas football for them and he was one of the layoffs. So that was the unhappy part of the story. But the happy ending is that he was deluged with offers uh, Kalen's young and he's a kind of a, not kind of, he's definitely a rising talent. And so he had a ton of offers and within a couple weeks he had landed at the ringer. So that was great. And, uh, yeah, we managed to work out a time to do this and I'm really glad we did. Uh, I didn't know Kalen's name, uh, before reading that piece at the athletic, I probably should have, but, uh, now I, I do. And I think our chat was really good. And I think he's somebody we're going to be hearing quite a bit from in the coming days and years. So, We'll get there in just one moment. Uh, I always do like to plug the Apocalypse Sports Network before we go. It is two podcasts each week, one like this that's longer, one that's kind of a shorter variety show. I write five blog posts that you can check out uh, at apocalypsesports.net. That's five every week. And uh, yeah, a lot of it's free uh, like this, but some of it is behind a paywall. And if you're interested in subscribing, it is $3 a month, and you can do so 
at patreon.com slash apocalypse sports. All right, without further ado, let's get to the interview with Kalen Jones. Segment break. Kalen, welcome to the show, and how you doing? I'm doing good, bro. How have you been? Yeah, I've been good. Uh, Kalen, I explained this a little bit in the intro, but I first emailed you on June 2nd uh, when I read something I really liked of yours in The Athletic. And it's only been 20 days, but you <laughs> you have had quite uh, quite the sequence here. Uh, laid off by The Athletic, which is bad news, but the great news is a couple days ago you were hired by The Ringer. Uh, so I guess the first question is, uh, how's the whiplash feeling right now? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, that's a good question because... I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm still in the middle of having my back going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So it's it's been a lot, you know, like like you mentioned, like it, it was really unfortunate with the athletic, but super fortunate in that literally, I think within 30 minutes of getting laid off, like I had people reaching out. So it, it was super quick, super fast. I was kind of looking forward to having a break, but, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm glad that it, it turned out the way that it has, especially because like I get to go, go back home to family and everything else. So I'm excited. Yeah, and that has to be validating, too, to have people reach out that quickly because, I mean, it shows you that you're on the right track, that, uh, you know, you're a young guy, but obviously it's not an easy industry, but you must be doing something right to have so many people interested and, again, to have been hired so quickly. Yeah, man, like I, I just tell, I tell people all the time, like, you know, just try to be, you know, just be yourself and be genuine. Like there's a lot of, a lot of people, I think, you know, as the higher, I guess, I've risen within journalism, like it's really cool to see that the best of the best are really genuine people. And if they're fake, they're really good at selling it because they come out like the aura that a lot of people present is not big timing. Like even like, we'll probably get into like working at the athletic, you know, I was, you know, suffering from a lot of imposter syndrome until I, you know, met a lot of those people and being in in the same space as Andy Staples, Nicole Auerbach, like uh, Stuart Mandel, like those people like who are giants, you know, in our industry and they're, you know, they're, normal people just shooting it with everybody, you know, treating everybody like human being. And so that I just try to tell people, you know, just be yourself, be nice and don't be a D word to people and you're good. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, I, I found that the, the D words, the D bags are typically either people who are insecure because they have no status or once in a while you find people who are very talented and good, but tend to be on like the later stage of their career and might sort of be losing their fastball a little bit. And then they sort of adopt this egotistical persona. So it's either like, it's either not quite there or over the hill, but yeah, I I found the same as you, the people who are really good, they're genuine people, especially in, I think a writing field like ours. Yeah. It's really cool to see because it makes you feel like you can be yourself. Like, cause I tend to be too nice sometimes, I guess, like I've been told before. So, well, you're on this podcast, kind of so obviously you're not very selective. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I did put you off for like a long time. I felt bad about that. So, I'm glad that you let me be on the podcast, if anything, man. Like, I appreciate it. Well, to be fair, you had a lot going on uh, by any standard. I did. Um, <laughs> so, again, you know, the one thing I wanted to ask you first, um, talking a little bit about mm-hmm. the athletic, and um, the piece I read uh, was called I Remember You Crying. And this was a sort of compilation of different people's experiences at the athletic. And that came out June 2nd. And your piece, I've explained a lot of it in the intro, but essentially you took these two uh, these two vignettes, these two anecdotes, and telling them mm-hmm. you managed to cut to the heart of so many things that we're going through right now culturally. The writing was beautiful. So I said, okay, uh, I've never heard of Kellen Jones before, to be totally frank, but I really now I have to like try <laughs> oh, to yeah. talk to him. Um, then, of course, days later, uh, you get laid off. And maybe I'm being too bitter on your behalf here, but the timing to me was insanely suspect because it was like 
this was something you wrote that was so good. The Athletic knew it was so good because they put it first in this mm-hmm. compilation piece. They made it free so everybody could read it. They promoted the hell out of it. And, you know, they got a lot of the positive rub off so they could say, oh, look, you know, we're a progressive organization and we're running this kind of thing. And then a few days later, they're like, hey, Kalen, thanks. Uh, by the way, here's the door. Yeah. Um, am I on the right track there? I mean, is that am I right to feel sort of like annoyed on your behalf? Oh yeah, dude. Like I was annoyed. Like that, that definitely was it because it's funny. Like my, my friend Fabian Ardaya, who also works uh, for the athletic covers the angels. And like, he, you know, we were joking back and forth on Twitter about it. And like, I literally took a screenshot because in that piece I mentioned, you know, like five years later from the second second issue or situation, like I ended up at the athletic and then literally five days later, I like, I screenshotted like my, I got laid off tweet. So it was funny, but (laughs) You know, it, it, it was definitely, I definitely felt a little bit better because like, I, I felt like it was the most impactful piece I'd written. Like I was and to that point, like I was making headway with my own beat, like Texas. Um, yeah. I was just literally, I literally had a meeting schedule with a key source, like who I hadn't established a relationship with. And he was like, Oh yeah, let's talk and everything else. And then literally two hours before I get a text or afterwards the layoff, he's like, Hey, I'm sorry about the news. We'll chat some other time. I'm like, whatever. So yeah, there's definitely a little bit of bitterness, like with the timing, especially in that we didn't get a heads up like before it happened. So, you know, it is it is what it is. But I was definitely, definitely upset about it <laughs> in the moment. Yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. Especially, I mean, who knows what the timing was, but especially if they knew that this stuff was coming down the pipeline a few days later. Right. Um, so I, one of the first people I had on this podcast, Kellen, was Tim Layden, who is a longtime Sports Illustrated vet. Uh, he works for NBC Sports now. And he's he's in his 60s, and he's kind of on the tail end of his career. And one thing we were talking about is he's like, I don't like being old and getting older. However, in a journalism context, I'm grateful uh, that I'm close to retirement. And my thing was like, yeah, I'm 37, and it sucks to be 37 in this industry because, you know, it's like it's very precarious, obviously, as you've experienced. But then you, you know, you just turned 24. You're in a completely different world altogether. Um, so... Let me ask you, uh, from 13 years uh, in the future, uh, what is it like uh, being as young as you are, having just started your career, and looking out on this on this industry where there's certainly room for optimism, and your career looks great, but also mm-hmm. also we have no idea in a broader economic sense where any of this is going. Yeah, no, that's definitely like the biggest concerning thing. Like you know, like it sucks because you know not just my own layoff with the athletic, but you know you know you root for the athletic because they you know and the idea that you want this entity like a sports based you know payment based um or subscription based you know sports entity to thrive you know like and um it's unfortunate that you know i think the pandemic obviously like has really influenced a lot um you know you hope you don't have that kind of scenario again but just for the state of journalism in general i mean it it's really concerning and you know it's hard to even imagine like 13 15 years from now like just because of, you know, we, we don't even know what journalism will look like, you know, following uh, the virus and the pandemic. I mean, I, I've seen people over at AZ Central and friends that I made back in college, you know, who cover like regular news. And I keep seeing news about them getting furloughed and everything else. And it's just it's disheartening. Um, I don't know what to make of our industry, even though, you know, I'm in the stage where I have to be, you know, proactive about thinking about that down the road. And I'm very much a planner. Um but it, I don't know, man, like it, it, I really, I wish I had like an answer or even thoughts. Usually I have thoughts on everything, but it's just like, I don't know where our industry goes. Like it's encouraging that, you know, like there is always going to be 
a fan base for sports. Like sports will sure, always yeah, have some type of yeah. following. So there will always be a need, you know, a net, like for people who are either talking heads or, you know, just reporters, you know, because people care about sports. There will always be sports fans so long as there are sports. Um, but at the same time, I mean, like as far as it, you know, being a revenue generating industry, I, I, you know, like it's, it's concerning for sure. Like, I'm not going to lie and say it isn't. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think insecurity is the common, no matter how old you are, is sort of like the common theme uh, going. I, I know a lot of my colleagues at the golf channel are about to get laid off in the next couple of days. Um, so in a way, it's almost nice that you have well, the whole thing ahead of you because there's <laughs> there's plan as you've already found out, there's plans and plan B's and, and good things happen. And you just have oh, to yeah. keep sort of persevering, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, Caitlin, a lot of people are probably going to start to get to know your work uh, for the first time. I, I'm assuming they already did at The Athletic. And then, of course, at The Ringer, you're going to have a whole new audience. So just to ask you a little bit about yourself, um, you mentioned you went to ASU. Did you grow up in Arizona? Uh, so I grew up in Southern California. I actually okay. grew up in the same uh, city as um, Lonzo Ball, like in the Ball Brothers. Um, I grew up in Chino Hills, and I went to high school with Lonzo for just two years. Like, he was a sophomore oh, when I was a senior. So I caught the beginning of what ended up becoming the great, you know, ball family show, I guess, like out there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I went to Arizona State for four years. I actually was out of school for a little bit, too. Like, in between my freshman and sophomore year, like, really every single year. Like, I wasn't – we were always paying at the last minute. But in between my freshman and sophomore year, I wasn't able to pay for it. and. Um, like, cause my, my family was like in the middle of a really messy divorce. Okay. And so yeah. like in between like that, that off semester where I was out of school, like I was working at Wingstop and like, I was trying to save up money to get back from school. I, I didn't get the job too late because I was stubborn and kind of depressed, but you know, like all of that yeah, being said, yeah. like I ended up <laughs> getting a, I, I started a GoFundMe page and, um, like in December, like mid early, early or mid December. And I needed to raise like $8,000 to get back into school. And I had a bunch of friends and family and, you know, people I didn't even know, like help contribute and got my way back into school. And then from there, I would, you know, bust my butt, you know, like not yeah. that I wasn't hustling before, but like it, I, I really made sure to maximize my time in college and made the right connections, got involved with every group I could possible. And, you know, long long story short like yeah <laughs> i guess like i ended up here so uh do you want like more information no, on no, how yeah. i got we'll, here we'll, yeah no we'll go back and stuff i but i, I do want to yeah, mention okay. that i actually found that gofundme when i was kind of googling you and looking you up and it was yeah it was almost like bringing a tear to the eye because on one hand it's sad that anybody especially for a public school that somebody would like you would have to ask for money and i'm sure that must have been hard for you um but yeah. on the other hand it shows i mean yeah, I mean, you're obviously a huge fighter. It sounds like you had already hit the ground running at ASU, then had this dream ripped away from you. You talk about being depressed. Of course, anybody would be. But it sounds like uh, not only are you a fighter and persevere, but you're also pretty inventive. And, you know, getting to where you are now seems like not an easy road in any sense. Yeah, no, it, it it's taken a lot. You know, it's taken a village. And, I mean, it's funny because, like, um, you know, it, 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 the three instances over the past month, you talk about whiplash, like yeah. that first piece with um, the athletic, like writing about my experiences, like I, so many people like reaching out to me and saying, oh my gosh, that's so great. That was awesome. Like people I knew who have been supporting me for a long time. And that was cool to see. And then the layoff happened like within a week. 
So then again, like another wave of people just support, 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 support. And then, you know, the ringer job two weeks later, like, again, just the amount of support that I've had, like it, it's really taken a village. Like I, I try to pay it forward again. Like I think like, you know, the best virtue for like my best virtue, I think is that I just try to be, I try to be good for the sake of being and not like, so I get that back or like just for the sake of being loved. Like yeah. if you just do it for the hell of it, then it, it manifests somehow. And that's, that's not why you do it, but it's just, it's surreal to see it, you know, come back. So that that's been really cool to see personally. And when you rewind, you know, to go back to that time when you're at Wingstop and you're not sure if you're going to be able to go back to school and you've got all these dreams. I mean, it hasn't been that long in the grand scheme of things, but it must seem like you've come an incredible distance. Is that something you could have imagined uh, at that time? Oh no, like getting this far. Absolutely not. And I mean, even getting back in the school now, like I, I, <laughs> I remember who was, I think it was like the buddy healed, it was like Kansas and Oklahoma. They played some epic, like three overtime game. I think I can't remember. I'm blanking, but I remember watching that. Like while I was working, just thinking, I need to get the hell out of here. And there, and I almost broke down in the back, thinking, there's no way I was going to. I didn't see a path out. Like maybe you know, like two, three years. But I made so many friends. I thought, man, like I, I you know, was establishing myself. I, I didn't see a path back. Nonetheless, getting to this point and again, like I'm just super fortunate that it's played out the way that it has. Yeah. And you mentioned on the GoFundMe that, um, and this is again, created in 2015 when you're trying to go back to school. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that writing is something that you've always loved doing. Uh, and this is, you know, it sounds like it had been something that had been in your life for a long time. Did you know you wanted to be a journalist or a writer from a very young age or when did that dream kind of start emerging? So I've known I wanted to write, you know, since I was a kid, like my, I've, always loved sports and I loved, you know, writing like little short stories and poetry and stuff like that. But I was obsessed with sports because of my older cousins. Um, I have like two younger siblings, so I'm the oldest child in my family, but, gotcha. um, I didn't have a big, my big brother figure was my older or my old, my closest in age, older cousin, Ben. And he was like a star athlete in our city. Like he ended up playing D2 football and everything. So I, I just wanted to be like him growing up. And I wasn't built like he was. <laughs> He's not even really that big of a dude. He's like a six foot, like maybe five eleven, one hundred eighty pounds. But you know, like I'm only five six, hundred thirty. So you know, <laughs> the stark contrast between the two. <laughs> and I knew from I knew by the time I was in high school, like I didn't make our, I didn't make any like my high school team because I wasn't big enough. So yeah. like I, I realized then um, in high school, like I, I started a website, you know, with my friends, like two. My, my friend Kevin Avery and Vince Paseo, I remember that. Like, we did, we tried to do a website, and, I mean, like, we, we maintained that for, like, a year, and then um, Kevin and I did a podcast for a long time, too, and, like, I think by the time I was, like, a sophomore in high school, like, I knew I wanted to be, like, a sports writer and, like, maybe one day be on TV. Maybe I don't want to be on TV anymore, but, like, <laughs> like I definitely wanted to be, like, in sports and writing. Like, it merged my two passions. I was obsessed, so. Yeah. I almost feel like it's a gift. You know, I, I grew up in a very small town in upstate New York and, you know, I'm not a good athlete, but just because our school was so small, I got to play, you know what I mean? I got to like make my teams and like, you know, growing up in Southern California, <laughs> I would have been laughed off the court if I tried to try out for basketball, but it is almost a gift that you're like, okay, early on. Yeah. It would be a wonderful life to be a professional athlete, but that's clearly not going to happen. So, so let's focus on oh, this yeah. other thing that I love. <laughs> yeah, no, I had that dream ripped away very quickly. Like I, I remember <laughs> 
there were like five or six point guards who were all like, you know, around the same height as me. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll, I can probably hang with them. Cause I've played in like, like I mentioned the story, like the Christian league I was playing in, like I was like the best player. I was like, cool. I'll handle my stuff. And yeah. no, that that's not how it went. I <laughs> could not still can't dribble with my left hand well enough. So wasn't great. <laughs> that's funny. Now Lonzo ball, when he was a sophomore was, I mean, was it a huge, was he a huge deal in your high school even then? Oh yeah. So, I mean, he, he was a big deal as a freshman. I remember okay. that. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, like his dad, I mean, even then, like the, the stories I love telling are like, you know, his dad would show up, you know, and all white, his family would show up in all white in the front row and dad would be barking out coaching directions, you know, <laughs> as the coach is trying to coach, it was hilarious. And, you know, like our, like our high school was never known for that. Chino Hills was not known for basketball until Lonzo Ball got there. And sophomore year, um, he carried Chino Hills all the way to um, the state for the first time ever, like our state open division final or whatever. And they played modern day who had Stanley Johnson, who's who used to play for the Pistons. And right. I think the bucks, I can't remember where else he ended up, but um, Chino Hills, like we, they had like a, they, they had like a big, they had a big lead. Like it was like seven or eight point lead going into the fourth quarter. And I climbed on my friend's shoulder. I remember this. I jumped on my friend's shoulders and started to chant overrated at Stanley Johnson. <laughs> Stanley Johnson proceeded to drop like 15 points in that quarter alone. And they came back and won. And it was the most devastating thing ever. <laughs> so you personally cost your school a state title. <laughs> I think I think so. I don't know if anyone will remember that or claim that, but per, I felt pretty bad afterwards. <laughs> if I ever interview Stanley Johnson, I'm going to ask him if he remembers you. <laughs> specifically. <laughs> you yeah, some, I used to have dreadlocks on at the time, so it'll be some small little black dude with dreadlocks climbing on some white dude's shoulders yelling overrated. <laughs> so, now, did you get a sense uh, of Lonzo's personality at all then? Because it strikes me, I mean, I don't know him personally, obviously, but the contrast between he and his father is stunning in some ways. It seems like there's a total, not total, who knows, but it seems like there's much less ego uh, in Lonzo than there is in LeVar. Uh, what was he like in high school? I mean, was there arrogance there? It, it certainly doesn't seem like it now. No, a hundred percent. Like it's, it's a complete difference at least. And again, like I'm not close with him, but I knew people who, knew, who know him or knew him at the time, I guess. But like whenever we turn around, you know, lunchtime or, you know, just in friend circles, like after schools and stuff like that, like the arrogance, well, he's actually, he's frankly pretty quiet. Like at the yeah. time he was only a sophomore then, but like the confidence was there, but it wasn't arrogance. Like, gotcha. you know, like it, it wasn't loud and braggadocious the way that LeVar is so yeah. it was definitely a little bit different then. that's great now take me through uh take me through when you get back to Arizona State um how does mm -hmm. that end up uh with the job at the athletic how do you get there okay so I, like before I had, so I guess I have to rewind a little bit before I'd left school like I'd written for our school newspaper I was covering women's tennis like in the second half second semester of my freshman year and so I went from our school newspaper to our SB Nation blog. Like our the guy who was running it, um, Nick Kruger, I looked up to him a lot. Like he was like our hot shot, you know, student at the time. Yeah. And he was interning everywhere. I think he was covering the Pelicans or something like that back home. And he like convinced me to join their SB Nation blog. And so while I was out of school, I was still like doing analytical stuff for them. I was just like writing what I could without, you know, being a reporter. You know, mm -hmm. um, and so when I came back, I was still writing for them and I ended up taking on a reporter role. Like I was covering basketball, football, baseball for them. Um, and then from there, like I ascended to like the managing editor of the site at one point uh, with Connor Pelton. I remember that. And then from in between from there, in between my junior and senior year, 
um, like MLB.com, they used to have this internship, uh, the summer internship program where you're basically the number two to their main beat writer. And so um, my junior year, like I I was able to uh, intern with MLB.com and basically be a backup beat writer for the angels. And, um, and that was, I was underneath Maria Guardado, who was in her first year covering the Angels at the time, or even working with MLB. So I was her first ever intern. And so I go back to school. I actually ended up covering Arizona Sport, Arizona State Sports for um, 24-7 yep. uh, with their site with Sun Double Source and Chris Cartman. So during my senior year, I did that. Um, after my senior year, I, I did the MLB internship again. I covered the Dodgers for a little bit. But um, this is how I got the SI. So after school and everything, um, while I'm covering the Dodgers, like Maria reaches out to me who was covering the angels. And she's like, Hey, I know someone at SI.com who's looking for, you know, the higher people. Like I, I put your name in, like they'll reach out. And I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. And so, you know, interview, like I think two or three times with them ended up getting offered and moved out to New York, like a month later. So <laughs> I stopped, uh, covering the Dodgers in the middle of their, what would end up being their world series run. And so, um, from there, from SI, actually, that's the thing. Like, so how I got from SI to the athletic, um, during my senior year, Stuart Mandel, he was uh, roommates, I believe with Brett, Cur- Brett Curlin, who's one of the professional program directors over at, uh, the Walter Conkright school, uh, uh, where we were studying and like Mandel came and visited. Um, and there was like a small group of us, there were like 10, 15 students of us. And, like no one was really asking them questions. I was like, I was like, I knew I wanted to be at the athletic one day because I saw who they were all hiring. And I'm like, no, oh, that's where I want to be one day. So I was peppering him with, you know, 20 million questions. And he reached out to me afterwards because he was impressed. And so we kept email correspondence a little bit. Um, it tailed off when I got the SI. But then a year later, as SI was falling apart, mm-hmm. um, Mandel, I guess like the athletic was opening up college football positions. So he reached out to me and said, Hey, like, um, you know, I don't mind sure. It's like the four schools that he had mentioned were like West Virginia, Utah, uh, Missouri, South Carolina. So those four schools. And at that point, like I saw what was happening with SI. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was a sinking um, ship, right? Yeah. And honestly, like the job I had, it was all, it was, you wrote clickbait, but you're able to pursue stuff on your own. And I was just burnt out. Like I couldn't, keep up both things at the same time. So I was like, cool, get me out of here. Yeah. And yeah. so he ended up filling those four spots, like on our penultimate interview. It was really funny. So like again, like my friend Fabian, like I mentioned earlier, I, I texted him because like um I think Stuart already mentioned to me like those four spots have filled up, but he still wanted to talk to me. And so like I had made a list like of all the schools that they hadn't had coverage of. And Bobby texted me, he was like, well what if they offer you Texas? And I literally responded to him <laughs> F no. Really? So uh, yeah. So five minutes later, Stu Mandel and I are on the phone and he offers me Texas and I literally had to pull, hold the phone away from me. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this story doesn't end with him saying fuck no to Stuart Mandel. <laughs> but that, but that is yeah, hysterical. No, I, I mean, it's like being offered um, three different triple A teams and then they fill up and then they're like, well, what about the Yankees? You know, I mean, those other schools you mentioned are big football schools, obviously. But I mean, Texas is really the, right. the king of oh, the hill. Dude, that exactly. Yeah. So that that was the thing. I was like, you know, it's it's a it's a lot. It's pretty big. And I was like, you know what? Like, I was like, screw it. Like, I'm up for the challenge. Like, I'll I'll work my butt off. Like, 
All right. Can I swear? Am I allowed to swear? I don't know if I'm allowed yeah, to swear. Yeah, please do. Just... This, is, this is like my... Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, oh, fun. shoot. Shit, man. I wish I would have known that. I could have been swearing the entire... My bad. Anyway, <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I knew I'd bust my ass, so I'd be like... I get I get to Texas, and I realize it's not like Arizona State at all. Like, the coverage... Yeah. Like, the le- like what you're allowed to do through the school is completely different. Like, Arizona State... Don't get me wrong. I love Arizona State. Cool school. But also, at the same time, they need press when it comes to their football team yeah texas has a brand established like texas football is you know fucking texas football so they don't really need reporters doing features and stuff on their players nonetheless they really don't want you to because if you find out something then such 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 in their minds it can only be bad right like it's only like negative that can come from it it's like oh you might write a great feature but the chances the risk is almost too much when you're that big so they're trying to like kind of restrict you a little yes that's definitely i think that's definitely a part of it but there's also just so much competition too like i mean brian davis has been there forever Almar richardson is super good kirk bowl is super good dan davis super good like there, there were a ton of people who had you know equity on the beat much longer than me and it, it was really tough to break in. So yeah. that in, in tandem with, you know, not having the access that I was accustomed to at Arizona state, which I don't know why I was so surprised at it, but I was like figuring out how to go backwards and, you know, finagle stuff like that, that I learned a lot in terms of like understanding, like how to, you know, I guess like report without, you know, being directly involved in the team. Like I, like I mentioned, like I was just beginning to break into like the spaces that I needed to, I feel like with Texas when, you know, like they, they laid me off. So it's fine. But it it was disappointing (laughs) that I didn't get to put my best foot forward. Well, lucky for you, you're going to the NFL now, which I've heard is very open. There's no competition and you're going to have no (laughs) problem. No, but that that is right. No, it's really, it's really good to hear all that stuff that you, that you just went through because, um, Probably even somebody my age and a lot of people probably don't understand how much competition there is for these jobs um, that you're trying to go for now, Uh, how much ambition you have to have, how much you have to hustle. It sounds like you have the kind of energy where you just never stop because not just with trying to get a job now, but probably even like going to school and breaking through like that, you knew you couldn't stop in some way. Dude, that's definitely a part of it. And you know, like I'm definitely honest with myself. It, it's, it gets exhausting. Like I admire people like, like Nicole Auerbach. Like I think like watching her, the energy that she has, like that's someone that I just, I don't understand how Nicole does it. Cause she's very genuine on top of having the energy, like what, like seeing someone who is a national reporter like that. I think that was really valuable for me. And, you know, someone that I consider a friend at this point, like um, it, it's crazy. To, to see like the elite people and like the type of veracity that they have. And then at the same time, just also personality and personal ability. Like it, you, you have to have a combination of the two. Like, and there, there's definitely a time, I'm not going to lie. Like there's definitely been times where I've been like, Fuck, like I'm exhausted. Like, I don't know if I can do this, but yeah. again, like it's the imposter syndrome creeping in. And, you know, like at the same time, like looking back on my, you know, almost one year stint with the athletic, like, I can say like I did some pretty good work. Are there definitely areas where I could have done better? Absolutely. But at the same time, like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm happy with the job that I've done. And I think I've learned a lot of lessons and that I can carry into, you know, this next gig and next part of my career. So I'm excited about that. And I think the one thing you said there that resonated for me too, is that I have seen a lot of people who 
seem like they have relentless energy, but then all of a sudden kind of like hit a cliff and burn out. And then you talk about Nicole Auerbach. I, you know, I socialized with her maybe one or two days at the final four one year. And like you said, she's a really nice and genuine person, but also clearly like has got a battery and has got an engine and she can keep going. And I think it's almost incumbent on every person to figure out what their limit is, how they can do their best work. Because from what I've seen, once you burn out, you burn out for good. It's almost like there's no, it's almost like you've fallen off a bridge and there's almost no going back to that previous level of, of energy and dedication or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, no. And you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't struggle with that. Like that was definitely something like the transition. I think for me, like going from college to MLB to SI to like the athletic, like it was all like, so I'm not gonna lie. Like when I got laid off, I was like, there was like, it, it was such a mix of emotions. Like I was pissed. Mm-hmm. I was like upset. I was disappointed in myself. But at the same time, like something back in my head, I'm like, you get to breathe for a second. But that breather really was only like 30 minutes because again, <laughs> yeah, like I, just I, I was fortunate because people were hound yeah. and I'm for Don't get me wrong. I'm very fortunate in that, but you know, like it, it was literally interviews, interview, 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 interview. And then, yeah. you know, now we have a new job now I'm like, okay, like I get a few weeks like <laughs> to sort everything out, but now it's like, you know, figure out how to move from Texas back to California. Like how do I factor in my family? How do I factor in my girl? It's like, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, is still going on, but at the same time, it's, you know, like the, what I'm still able, like capable of reaching isn't, I don't think it's far off from what, you know, I was doing, you know, when I was like a high school, you know, when you're obsessed and just eating up everything and consuming all the content that you can, I think it's like the older you get, it's about managing, you know, where you invest that energy and then what you're able, I think you get better at, you know, consuming what you need to, as opposed to, you know, just doing everything and doing too much. Yeah. And it's, and it's just by its nature so far for you, it's been an unstable path in the sense of that things are constantly changing. And I I don't know if you have this, I'm, you mentioned a divorce earlier. I'm also a child of divorce. Mm -hmm. I think there is a part of me and a part of a lot of divorced kids maybe that seeks stability. And it is, it is funny because, you know, having been in your position, it's, it's a funny job to have if, if you've got that in your personality because <laughs> because you're yeah. not going to find it. Like so many no. times I'm like, should I have gone to law school and just, you know, done the be a property there and be fine. But I, I, do you find that a little bit like that, that almost contrasting urges there? Oh yeah, dude. Absolutely. Like, it's funny. Like my girl, I'm a Taurus dude. Like, I don't know if you believe in Zodiac stuff, but shoot, like we're all about stability. Like I, I'm very much someone who likes stuff that is stable by me in, 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 in an industry where you don't have a set schedule you don't have really like a set job even like you don't i mean you can get laid off at any point so i mean like in terms of that i mean i think there's a reckoning that had to come before like i even joined i think the the passion that i have for sports and what i do outweighs that fear of not having stability you know and i think that's where the love comes in because honestly it's kind of thrilling not having all that at the same time like it's frustrating it's annoying uh, at times absolutely like not being able to spend holidays with family like hey you know having in the middle of the day like do you know write about stuff that you know nobody else is like having to worry about but at the same time it's just something there's kind of a thrilling element to it you know because you don't know when something is going to pop off like pop off or like something is going to happen it's it's there's that little bit of um yeah oh my goodness what word am i thinking of like thrill but yeah like it's exciting at the same time. 
Yeah, and I thought that too. Like the safety net, it seems nice from a distance, but once you have it, and I, I will tell you also, uh, all these years later, I still have not gotten over the novelty of the weird free time you have. Just coming at strange times yeah. of day when nobody else has free time. Even I'm almost forty. I'm almost forty, and it still is awesome <laughs> to be like, "Hey, I'm taking my daughter at ten o'clock on a Monday to the you know you know to a river or something." Just little stuff like that, or like the little moments you can carve out are are still cool. Um, exactly. So, okay, tell me this. This is a big question for you. So, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're moving back to California for the Ringer. So, you'll you'll be mm-hmm. LA based. Um, right. Going from college football to the NFL, uh, that to me seems like quite a task. Like you're going to have your work cut out for you, establishing a beat. What What is the plan yeah. there? How do you transition to to something like this, where it's again another new thing for you? And that's the thing. Like I've been reaching out to people who I know who are covering the sport, just to, you know, trying to begin to wedge myself back in because. When I was with SI, for example, like, that's the funny part. Like, when I was with SI, like, I found a way to meet people, you know, it was around the NBA, but I mean, like, I was still finding people who were around the sport that, you know, were helping me to write stories that I wanted to. And now it's just, and it's similar to using the skills that I learned with, you know, reporting at The Athletic and covering Texas, like, having to go through, you know, second, third, fourth level layers, like, to get to where you want to get to as far as, like, telling a story. Like it's about being proactive. And I think like, as far as like attacking, like the transition going from college to the NFL, I think that as long as, you know, I'm able to, you know, keep some type, like I'll say this, like with the ringer, like luckily for me, like they're having me mostly like do analytical work, like which whenever stuff pops off, like they want me to write stuff that's thoughtful and pushes the story forward, which you know, I'm all for. And at the same time, like I still want to go out and, eventually like have a network of sources so yeah you know i can yeah. write features and stories and report on stuff whenever i want to and i think it's really this is a really good time for me where especially you know in the middle of the pandemic when everyone is at home and doing nothing like i can sit and really reach out and connect with these people and also you know take in as much as i can without the pace of everything you know being what it typically is so yeah, and yeah, that makes complete sense. And then, you know, the other big thing about going to the ringer, this is a huge career move for you regardless. Um, but also it's no secret that the microscope is is hard on the ringer right now. Uh yeah. New York Times story yesterday, sports media giant Bill Simmons finds himself playing defense. Like the idea of diversity is like this huge thing and and for and it's landed on the ringer square. And so what is that right. like going into that? I mean, that's that's another huge part of what you're doing and the change you're making. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's the thing. Like, even if that, that's what I was telling someone yesterday, like, I get that they have diversity issues right now, but I feel, I'm, I'm personally someone who feels like I'm an agent for change. So whatever I can do within that space to help, you know, the entity move forward, I think that's what my goal is. Like, granted, you know, like the comps and everything yesterday weren't great. And the article wasn't, you know, the best, but at the same time, I think, I'm in a position personally. I think, honestly, the ringer itself is making taking steps to you know be more inclusive and make sure that there is a space for you know including minority writers and staffers, so that way you know it's more inclusive and that way they can tell better stories. So I, I think I can help contribute and help push uh, the entity forward in whatever man, way that I can. Um, I think is a good thing, and so that's how I'm approaching it at least. And I don't know if I'm wrong about this or if this is naive, but it also feels like the minute there is a tension on something like this, the change is inevitable. Like it's going to happen because there's almost no other 
outcome, right? That's acceptable. Like there's got to be, exactly. there's not, there's not a, a future in which they can say, no, we're just fine. We're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to do anything now that the attention is on them. Exactly. They're almost accountable just by the nature of that. Exactly. So it's good that that's the thing, like the conversation needs to be had, like whether it's good or bad, like the thing of what comes out of it is what's the important thing. Like if the ringer like was choosing to stand idle and not, you know, change anything about it, then there'd be a significant issue. But you know, the fact that they're taking steps to move forward, I mean, I'm just one person out of what I hope is like, you know, five, six, seven, eight people, you know, right, or whatever right. it is. So we'll see. But you know, I, I know from just like the personal experience, like they are making an effort to, you know, be more inclusive. So, and, uh, do you know a lot of folks at the ringer already? Um, I mean like now I do, but you okay. know, initially yeah, yeah, yeah. coming in, like I, I, so, I mean, like, I, I don't mind sharing this either. Like the, the connection I had with the ringer, like, um, was Matt Dollinger, who was, um, a former editor at SI.com. And again, like gotcha. when I was writing all those NBA features, like he was editing most of them. So, it's nice to have someone, you know, in, in your corner who, again, like he immediately reached out to me and was like, Hey, like I'm, I'm here for you. Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's it's nice. really incredible. So that's why I go back to you again. Like, just don't be a dick to people, man. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's off. Uh, and is, fo- is football your preferred beat? Like if you had to pick one sport to cover, would it be football? Would it be basketball? I mean, you talked even about, you covered the Dodgers for a long time. Oh yeah, no. Ba- football is you know my favorite sport. Like I, yeah. I grew up a Raiders fan. My mom used to be a Raider, at, and my cousin was all my cousin or my two male cousins were football players. So yeah, like I, I love football, definitely. That's great. Now you you mentioned your mom in the in the story that you wrote, um, and you've talked about mm-hmm. it a lot today. How she how she feeling? She must be pretty proud that. Uh, oh yeah, no, she and you're coming you're coming home because, too, right? Yeah, sort of. So right now she she's living with uh, her grandparents right now, or my grandparents right now. So the goal is, you know, find an apartment where I can get her, my, my brother and sister in there and help her get, you know, moving forward. So she's really excited about that. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate you uh, letting me look inside your head and, and your biography here, Kalen. Now is the time when we pretend uh, the podcast is about sports. And so I'll ask you a couple <laughs> things. Uh, it, it almost feels uh like going back in time to ask you about college football, but I would like to, if I can, um, the, the, uh, the Mike Gundy story is interesting. You mentioned it in a recent tweet and then you, you talked also about stuff happening in Texas. I want to ask you about Mm -hmm. Gundy in a second, but I had not heard, uh, about what's going on in Austin. So what tell, what is the situation there right now? Well, I mean, right now they're moving forward as far as I know, you know, with, uh, their off-season schedule. I mean, they they have players on camp. They had a first wave of players come in. Um, I believe had, on June fifteenth. And they, they had a handful of COVID cases already, right? Exactly. Yeah, they've had thirteen players already contract the virus. So, and they've had another. I think that are getting sequestered. I think fifteen players. Give me. I'm. I blanked on the number because once I got let go, I was like, screw this. <laughs> Who <on>. cares? <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit out of bitterness, but at the same time, like, I do know that they're moving forward with everything. Um, but I mean, like, if you're asking, like, as far as, like, the team's outlook for the season, I mean, like, it's good for them that, one, they're getting everyone on campus now. I guess, like, if they're planning to go, you know, with the six-week training camp period before, you know, the season starting, like, you have to get players on campus now. So that way they can quarantine or at least right, potentially right, right. heal up or recover from the virus that they contracted. and then you go on with whatever plans that you have if it's feasible. But I mean, the question is whether or not it's feasible. We'll see. But 
um, as far as like college football on the whole, but <laughs> I yeah. mean, Texas is definitely among the, the teams that are just kind of moving forward in the middle of everything. So, yeah, and it's, it feels very precarious. I mean, Clemson obviously had even more people test positive. It feels precarious in golf. Tenet, I mean, you, I'm sure you've read about Novak Djokovic and everything going on there. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the timing, it's it sounds terrible right now in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I just want to briefly ask you about Mike Gundy. He, of course, was caught wearing that OAN shirt. Um, I don't know if caught is the right word because he didn't seem <laughs> ashamed at all until people called him out on it. <laughs> You know, these guys tend to be um, quite good at seeming sincere and, you know, mm-hmm. seeming like they are contrite in certain ways. And I don't know, just from what you know about him and having been around it, all the videos you've seen, all his apologies, does that seem legit to you? Man, I hope that's legit. <laughs> it comes off a little bit as, you know, just saying what you have to say to, right. to get through the period, which, you know, for the most part, I mean, no one's really outside of us talking about, I mean, it's not in the headlines per se. I'll say that. Like, um, I don't know. You know, I, I hope that he's had an actual reckoning because the video again, like with him and uh, Chuba Hubbard, like talking about, you know, I guess like reconciling with one another, it didn't, it came off as very disingenuous, but yeah, yeah. you know, again, like I, I'm not inside the dude's head. I mean, I don't know him personally, so I hope that there is some type of reckoning, but you know, I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you've seen these things play out too. Like we saw it with Dabo Swinney too. It's, it seems like there's these things that happen and then there's this immediate, like people call them out, but there's this immediate move to sort of almost do what the NFL did around the, like the kneeling protest before, which is to use these words like unity and like togetherness or whatever as a catch all, which puts the story to bed but also erases any specifics almost. But to me, that's what it seems yeah. like. It's like, oh, no, no, let's have unity, uh, but let's not talk about what that means, or and let's ignore everything that came before. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know even what my question is here, but just having been around that college football <laughs> world, to me it seems like there's a certain right. phoniness there uh, about that stuff, and I'm wondering if you encountered a lot of that. Um, I mean, not, not with Texas, because I, I think, one again like this is the funny part i was telling someone i think tom herman's too smart to be like racist or like end up like unaware of right. you know like what's going on socially like it, it was really cool to see like his quotes uh to brian davis about like what's going on like in terms of like our country and race uh, systemic racism and you know like micro uh microaggressions which you know like i think the the, the money quote was him like asking like would you let you know like he's asking like white people would you let your daughters date black guys and it's like you know, like that, that's a really funny one. Like, And it's a, it's a reckoning that I think a lot of people have to have. I, I've, I've never experienced like, as far as like racial injustice, I never like felt that at Texas. And honestly, I think the fact that we've seen their players be amongst the first, you know, to talk about, I mean, even, uh, you know, mention boycotting at Texas university, like boycotting a football season, you know, in order to protest, you know, systemic racism, I think that kind of, speaks and is kind of a testament to you know the program or that they have you know as far as like the football team and you know at least the athletics department i can't speak for you know the some of the the stories and the atrocities i've heard about how they treat black people on campus but right you know right. i think that you know what the football program i think they're they, for the most part as far as i've interacted with people they seem to get it all right, and so you, I know you're just starting with the NFL beat too, but it sounds like you've spent a lot of time during the pandemic, like you said, talking to people who cover it. Um, I'm sure you're get, starting to get a sense of what people are feeling. 
based on what you know, do you think that the NFL season is precarious at all? I mean, is there a chance that they would either have to delay or, you know, if things went really bad, if there's a second wave, cancel it altogether? Is that something that is even in the cards? I mean, canceling it all together, I don't think will happen. I think they're going to play on time. And I was thinking about this earlier, like, I'm really, like, concerned, like, how you play a preseason. Like, it, it would have to be, like, abbreviated or something because what happens if one team catches it, you know? So, do yeah. like, let's say a player on team A, you know, catches, so now this team B have to also, you know, quarantine for the two weeks before they play again. Like, it would mess up the schedule. Everything would be staggered. So, as far as, you know, the regular season starting on time, I'm not sure it would unless you somehow – like, you know, Dr. Fauci mentioned the other, like, you would have to somehow have, like, all these teams in the bubble. The advantage for, you know, an NFL team is that, you know, they're unionized and it's not like a college football team where players, you know, have to do their thing. Like, you can have all your players in one sequestered area and then just travel with them, go, go, go. But um, I don't know if it's, I just don't know if it's realistic. I think that, you know, all every sports league in America, it seems like it's trying to push a little bit too soon. And, and that's my opinion. But, yeah. Um, I, I don't see how it feasibly happens, you know, without someone contracting it and potentially spreading it to people. You know, I was down in Hilton Head for the uh, for the PGA Tour event this past weekend, and they had someone test positive, Nick Watney. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. that. And, uh, you know, it, it occurred to me that, okay, it's bad enough to have to shut these sports down in the first place, but to have to shut them down a second time because you started too early, that to me is devastating. And... With the NFL, do you get the sense that they're considering that? I mean, this this thing of like, if we start and then have to stop, it's worse than having waited in the first place? No, I, th- I think they're okay with – this is one thing. I haven't talked to anyone yet who could tell me this. I personally, from what I gather, I think they're okay with the potential of staggering everything. Gotcha. That's interesting. Um, well, Kayla, this was awesome. Thank you very much for coming on here. Best of luck to you at the Ringer, and best of luck in your move and all that. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you very much to Kalen Jones. Thank you all for listening. This was episode number 17. And man, we are speeding right ahead. Episode number 20 right around the corner. And uh, from everything I've heard about podcasting, that is when the real money is made. (laughs) Uh, No, but thank you very much. Uh, You know all the places you can subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, If you enjoyed this, tell a friend. Perhaps leave a five-star review on iTunes. And, uh, yeah, in general, just uh, I want you to have a great week. I want you to stay safe. I want you to have a great weekend and also stay safe through that. And we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.